Alrighty, greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullet. You can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube. Uh, just search for and subscribe to the channel there. You can also find us uh, with your favorite podcast catcher program. Just search for Logical Belief. We're now in the Google Store and also in the iTunes database. Um, if you have a question or a word of encouragement, um, just send those messages to Jason at LogicalBelief.org. Um, I would uh, also ask of uh, those of you that are regular listeners to this podcast to go ahead and go on iTunes and write a review and rate us. Uh, it'll make um, this podcast go uh, up higher in the search results. And I'd also encourage you to go to YouTube and actually subscribe to the feed. The more subscribers we have, uh, the more popular the channel becomes, and that would be very helpful to me. And also go to the Facebook page and like the Logical Belief Facebook page. Uh, the reason that um, we are Logical Belief Ministries is we firmly believe here that putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is the most rational and reasonable and logical thing that a human being, an image bearer of God, could do. And that is what we encourage everyone, all of our listeners, to do. Put your faith and trust in Christ alone. So this week here, I kind of have um, an assortment of things we're going to be discussing. Uh, the first thing, um, <clears throat> just wanted to make a couple notes. Uh, last weekend, um, I was sick, uh, came back from a business trip, and seems like every time I fly on a business trip, you get into that test tube with wings. Um, I always come out of there with something, so was not feeling well and uh, was too congested to really do uh, the show last week, so I had to cancel my interview with Pastor Stan Gibson. Well, we had scheduled, <laughs> rescheduled it for this week, and then things didn't work out for Stan this week. So we have moved that uh, discussion to um, next week, next weekend. Um, uh, but uh, Pastor Stan, pray for him. Uh, I believe they may have had a loss in his wife's side of the family, and he had a bunch of stuff uh, that he had to deal with uh, at church this weekend. So be praying for him um, that um, the Lord would be with him there. So. Uh, so he'll join us hopefully next week. We'll continue the discussion on the Freemasons, and we'll go from there. So um, <laughs> I just got done shooting this entire podcast, and I didn't capture any audio. So we're going to go ahead and give this another shot. So that's what happens when technology doesn't work for you all the time. Um, I am wearing today my missional wear, uh, John 1, 1 in Greek. I'm here. Love this shirt. But I wanted to do um, encouragement out there for you guys to, to wear shirts like that from like missionalwear.com or Wrath and Grace or um, wear Christian um, shirts when you're out in public because uh, what I've, I've had happen, not a lot, but I have had happen, is that it uh, invoked conversations. And so in my business trip I took this last uh, week, on the way back, I wore my Theology Matters shirt, <laughs> and I had somebody at the at the airport come up and say, now, what does that say? It says Theology Matters, and it opened up a great conversation with a oneness Pentecostal, or at least somebody that was in that church 
but a good conversation. So um, uh, if you're out there, um, thank you for that <laughs> discussion. If you're listening to this, uh, I think it was Darren or Darren, if you're out there, uh, thank you for the talk and it was enjoyable and uh, hopefully you will listen in on some of these um, shows. So, um, <clears throat> so just an encouragement for those of you out there engaging in evangelism, just another way to reach out to people. Um, the other thing is I wanted to just briefly talk about the debate, um, not last week, but the week before, uh, the last episode on the podcast was a debate that I did with, um, Paul Pabo. And, uh, I thought it went really well. I was uh, happy with how the debate went. I think that there's some good content there that's going to be edifying uh, for people out there, especially if you're searching and trying to get your head wrapped around what does the Bible teach about these issues. <clears throat> um, from my perspective, um, I I thought it went really well. Um, I would encourage you to pray for Paul. Um, there's some things that he believes that are are very very concerning, and uh, one of the things that I thought was very interesting is his attempt to get around the often uh, stated passages in the Book of John, especially that he who believes has the Greek word ice uh, uh, present active indicative uh, verb there that. Um, says that we have um, eternal life, that we presently have eternal life. And he said that that eternal life is in Jesus. If we have Jesus, we have eternal life, but that doesn't mean that our possession of it is eternal. I find that to be a rather <clears throat> vapid explanation. So we have eternal life, but our possession of that life is not eternal. Um, well, then you don't have eternal life. But um, instead of really addressing that issue, I just took him to another text of scripture so that we didn't have to run around on circles on that, uh, where it says that he who believes will never die. Uh, I believe that was in John 15, uh, I think was the text that I took him to. And the reason I want to bring that up, if those of you that listen to the debate may, might wonder why I didn't address that, because I actually talked to somebody after the debate, and they're like, well, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting what he said there. Um, and I said, well, I actually did address his argument with where I went in Scripture next, because um, the other Scripture that I went to right after that says that he who believes shall never die. So from his position, somebody who does believe, truly believes, can actually die in the sense that that verse was talking about, and that is eternal death, eternal separation from God. Um, I don't think he was able to handle uh, 1 John 2.19. Um, he didn't really even touch hardly, um, <clears throat> in my opening statement, John 6.37, and uh, some other texts there about uh, all the Father gives to me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will never cast out. Um so I, I don't think he really addressed a lot of those issues. Uh, one of the things that um, I thought was um, really a straw man on uh, Paul's part was his uh, repeated statements that I don't have any purpose for the warning passages in Scripture. And um, 
I believe in my opening statement and in our dialogue, um, I repeatedly demonstrated that there is a purpose uh, that God has for the warning passages in Scripture. And that purpose is the exact same purpose that God has with Scripture that tells us to believe and repent. I believe repentance and faith are a gift from God. But human beings have wills. Oh, what do you know? I'm, I'm a Calvinist and I actually believe a human being has a will. Yeah, that's actually what we believe. We believe human beings have wills. And, um, and we believe that God uses Scripture as the means to, for his saints, the elect of God, to repent and believe and to persevere. Scripture is the means which God uses to accomplish that. And when God changes the heart um, of a rebel, a sinner, takes out the heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh, now the person's nature has changed. We make choices congruent and consistent with our nature. And when God changes our nature, now our nature is capable and has the ability to choose the things of God, to demonstrate and to act upon faith in Christ to repent of our sins, and to persevere. And God places Scripture within our hands um, to use that as the means that he uses to for us to know with our minds and with our hearts and with our will on how we ought to follow God. And because we've been given a new nature, we will do that. So the scripture that tells us to believe to repent to persevere and warns against those who do not persevere are the means that God uses to accomplish that so I I believe that we have a reason for those passages Um, that's why they're there Um, God uses scripture to both um, save his people Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10 my sheep hear my voice they know me and they follow me So that's what scripture is. Scripture is Jesus speaking to us as his sheep. And so we obey his command to not fall away and to persevere until the end. We obey his command to repent and we obey his command to put our faith and trust in him alone for our our salvation. And so it's all a gift from God, but scripture is the means to accomplish God's ends. And so I really don't think that... um, his uh, straw man there really holds any water at all. And so if you collapse all that, um, don't think uh, it really went that well for Paul. But uh, we pray that he comes to know and believe the truth. And for those of you out there that hold to Paul's position, one of the questions I would actually have for you, and let me actually pull this up here. I wasn't planning on doing that, but let's... uh, I'm going to pull this up real quick. And let's find his statement on his website. Because I, I know I have people out there that listen that that do not believe in the doctrines of grace, do not believe in God's um, sovereignty and salvation. Uh, they believe in man's ability and his ability to persevere himself. So the question I would have, though, for you, if you do not believe that God actually perseveres his saints till the end and he actually accomplishes their salvation, is my hope and prayer is is that you do not embrace 
Paul's statement on his website, which he affirmed in our debate. Um, and I'm just going to read this again. It may be unthinkable, a complete violation of our modern traditions, but the fact is that in the early days of the church, no one believed that being born again and possessed by the Spirit of God had anything to do with going to heaven outside of the fact that a spiritual person had a much better opportunity to live out the good works that would get them to heaven. Now, I hope Paul doesn't actually believe that, but he said he did. Um, if he believes that, he's not a Christian. He needs to believe the true gospel. And my hope is, if you deny the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that you're not embracing this. Now, this is the logical conclusion of that, but I hope that's not what you embrace. Um, all right, <clears throat> so that's really... Um, the thoughts that I had on that. What I wanted to um, talk about today uh, for a good portion of the time. Um, uh, you know what? Before we do that, let's play a spot from Andrew Rappaport from Striving for Eternity Ministries. Uh, let's pull that up. Ding dong! Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong! Mormons. Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe? When we witness to people, we need to present the truth, but it is very wise to know what they believe, and you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at whatdotheybelieve.com. Alrighty, um, this is Andrew's book. I have actually a copy of it myself. Um, he has actually recently contacted me and said that he's going to provide three copies of this book to give out on the podcast. So when I get those, uh, we'll do a drawing of some sort, um, and uh, <clears throat> I will be sending those out to whoever wins those. So uh, great resource, actually. I have um, I've not read the entire book, but since it's uh, in uh, parts where it uh, speaks of it's got uh, let's actually pull up the uh, index here uh, table of contents here uh, it's got a section on um, theology of Judaism Roman Catholicism Islam uh, uh, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses and then Christianity and I read his section on um, Islam and it was really good and uh, some of the section on Mormonism and so I would encourage you, that, you know, those of you that want to be better equipped to share the gospel with whoever you encounter, whether it's a Muslim sitting in an airplane seat beside you or your neighbor who's a Jehovah's Witness or the guy you work with that's a Mormon, um, that is going to be a great resource. Because one of the things I would really encourage you as Christians, if you are interested in sharing your faith, is properly represent what those who are not Christians actually believe. We should not return the favor. Christianity is so often strawmanned, um, not represented properly. Um, and so we should not return that favor. We should do, we, we have the truth. And so we should make every effort to actually deal with what the other person actually believes. Because all the time we spend casting down arguments for things that the person doesn't believe is completely wasted. Um, it does not accomplish anything. And so, and we are, as Christians, mandated to be lovers of the truth. 
and to not represent someone properly is not to is to not love the truth and uh, so my encouragement would be is study take the time to to read up on what others believe and then properly represent them because that is respectful to another image bearer of God um, it's being a good neighbor it is um, loving truth and um, that is one thing that uh, we as Christians are called to do so um, when I get those uh, I will be offering those to three of my listeners I believe he's sending three of them so um, I think that is it okay so let's run into jump into uh, today's topic um, <clears throat> We're going to talk about Mother Teresa for a little while here. And obviously, all over the news, uh, being canonized, going to be called a saint. And, you know, first of all is, what does Scripture say about that? What does Scripture say about saints? Uh, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, in the first letter to the Corinthians, he says... In chapter 1, verse 2, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So notice that we are all, all those who are called to be saints by God, together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here that those who are saints are those who have been called by God, who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is their Lord. So that is who is a saint, not somebody who has been canonized by some process through the Roman papacy. Um, all those who trust in Jesus Christ alone uh, for their salvation are the saints of God. And so <clears throat> the the thing that I'm concerned about is I see a lot of modern evangelicals, uh, professing Christians, jumping all over Mother Teresa and uh, putting her up on a pedestal as some as some saint. And the first thing should give you pause is... Um, the fact that she's a Roman Catholic nun. If she truly believes the gospel espoused by Roman Catholicism, she's not a Christian. I mean, yeah, I, I actually believe that. The Roman Catholic Church does not teach the true gospel. If you read their catechism, I mean, go back to past episodes. I'm not going to rehash all that. But look at what the catechism says about justification. Well, look at what I read Paul Pavo in the last debate. And he thoroughly embraced it. He said it was exactly what he just said, that quote I just read from him. And actually, let's just go right back there again. Um, let's pull it up. So after reading his quote from his website, I read him the paragraph 1821 from the Roman Catholic Catechism that says, We can therefore hope in the glory of heaven promised by God to those who love him and do his will. In every circumstance, each of us should hope with the grace of God to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. That's not the true gospel. 
if heaven is the reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ, then the work of Christ is not what accomplished our salvation. It made our salvation possible, but he did not actually accomplish our salvation. Jesus on the cross proclaimed to Telestai, it is finished. He actually accomplished the salvation of his people. Um, verse I quote all the time, Hebrews ten fourteen. By a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sacri- uh, sanctified. The offering of Christ was perfect. He actually perfected those for whom it was made and accomplished their salvation. So the first thing that should give you pause is the fact that Mother Teresa, Teresa of Calcutta, was a Roman Catholic nun. And most Roman Catholics, not all, but most Roman Catholics actually believe what Rome teaches about the gospel. And if they believe what Rome teaches about the gospel, they are not saved. Uh, Rome is an idolatrous antichrist. They, they promote the worship of images, the worship of Mary. Um, they uh, have revelation all the time from these Marian apparitions all over the world. And if you actually look at their actual revelations, they are completely antithetical to Scripture. They call Mary... Um, another mediator, when when First Timothy chapter two tells us there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, that doesn't leave any room for a mediatrix, um, which is what Rome uh, propounds. Uh, they engage in the blasphemy of the mass, literally every day all over the world, where they re-sacrifice Christ all over again for those present. Um, because I guess Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient. I mean, read the book of Hebrews. It says repeatedly that he, by a single offering, perfected those who drew near. That by a single offering, he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so the gospel of Rome is vapid. It can't save anyone. But even that, Mother Teresa wasn't even a good Catholic. Um, recently I listened to an interview by a Roman Catholic by the name of Mark Michael Zima on the Iron Sharpens Iron radio program hosted by Chris Arnzen. It's a podcast I would encourage you to listen to. Chris Arnzen is a Reformed Baptist. Um, he has all kinds of uh, different um, guests on his show all the time. And <clears throat> they're, um, it just has a lot of good content. But uh, he recently played back an interview he had done with uh, Mark Michael Zima, who wrote the book uh, back in 2007 entitled Mother Teresa, The Case for the Cause. And uh, Mark Zima is a traditional Roman Catholic. Um, he, uh, however, does not believe that Mother Teresa should be a saint, should be canonized as a saint. In fact, uh, he doesn't even believe she's a good Catholic. Uh you would actually conclude from his book and from his interview that uh, he would think that uh, Mother Teresa is better suited for excommunication from the Roman Catholic Church rather than canonization. So um, I will link in the show notes. I'll go ahead and link that interview with uh, Mark Zima, and I encourage you to listen to that. Uh, I'm also going to link uh, an interview with Dave Hunt and... uh, (laughs) 
whatever you think of Dave Hunt, he does have a really good, make some really good points in this video um, on, on Christian answers. You know, this is an interview I watched several years ago. Um, and so I'll link that in the show notes. I encourage you to watch that too. But listen to um, Mike Zima interviewed by Chris Arnzen on Iron Sharpens Iron Radio. But um, Zima goes through the things that Mother Teresa has said over the years in interviews and in her book um, and compares them to, and he makes a, a lot of really good critiques of what um, Mother Teresa has said. And so I'm just going to go through some of these quotes. And those of you out there that want to put Mother Teresa up on some sort of pedestal, the question you know, I would encourage you to ask yourself is, what is your authority? Is the word of God your authority? Do you love the gospel of Jesus Christ? And um, if you do, my question would be is, why, why would you consider one who corrupts the gospel of Jesus Christ and corrupts the truth about God? And why would you elevate that person as somebody to be emulated and somebody to be looked up to? Um, Mother Teresa was a postmodern syncretist. She wasn't even a good Roman Catholic. Um, and while some of her humanitarian efforts are commendable, um, atheists do good humanitarian efforts also. Um, she should not be elevated as um, a saint within the Church of God um, in any way. So one of the things that Mother Teresa said is, there is only one God, and he is God to all. Therefore, it is important that everyone is seen as equal before God. I've always said that we should help a Hindu become a better Hindu, a Muslim a better Muslim, and a Catholic become a better Catholic. I mean, this is just typical postmodern syncretism. Let's, let's just bring, there's a little bit of truth in everything. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And you'll see that even more clear. And some of the other things that she said. But let's just mix this all together. No rational, clear thinking whatsoever that mutually exclusive claims can both be true at the same time. But uh, that's how most of our postmodern world looks, especially at any sort of religious claims. A postmodernist will, um, when you're trying to share the gospel with them on the street, and I've had this happen, um, you know, oh, well, that's true for you, but that, and that, that's true for you, but that's not necessarily my truth, you know. Now, that same person doesn't live his life in such an incoherent manner. He doesn't. He doesn't go, he doesn't go up to the bank teller the next day knowing he has $100,000 in, in his account, and the bank teller tells him, uh, well, actually, no, you don't have 100000 in your account. You only have $100 in your account. And, that same man who told me that what's true for me um, is true for me and what's true for him is true for him will not go to the bank teller and say, well, you know, that, you know, it's true for me that I have $100,000, but it's true for you that I have 100 And so, you know, that's just both of our truth. And uh, just, you know, let's just be happy about it. And, and uh, let's just go on and live our lives. No, he can't live his life that way. But when it comes to religious claims of truth, I guess everything is equally true, which um, is also a claim of truth, which I deny to be true. So if I deny that to be true, is my denial of it also true? Um, 
not not sure how that works there, but um, <clears throat> uh, Mother Teresa also said uh, on September seventh of nineteen ninety seven. I think to the Associated Press, um, she said, of course, I convert. I convert you to be a better Hindu or a better Muslim or a better Protestant. Once you've found God, it's up to you to decide how to worship him. I wonder if uh, David, when um, God struck his servant who touched the ark, and his name's escaping me right now, but touched the ark, God struck him dead. I wonder if he thought that um, we are the ones who decide on how we worship God. Um, when um, Aaron's sons um, offered strange fire before the Lord and God destroyed them. I wonder if what went through Aaron's mind was that um, we decide on how to worship God. Yeah. Um, she also said, some call him Allah, some simply God, but we all have to acknowledge that he, it is he who made us for the greater things, to love and be loved. No, Allah is not the same God as the God of Christianity. I have a previous episode on that. I encourage you to listen to that. But uh, the God of Allah is, a, is Unitarian. He's distant. He um, is transcendent. He, in fact, their argument against the incarnation is that Allah is transcendent. He cannot become a man. So the claims of Islam are mutually exclusive to Christianity. Christianity teaches that God is tripersonal in nature and not unipersonal. So there is a contradiction there. Both cannot be true at the same time. And so some people don't call the true God Allah because Allah is not the true God. She also says, um, she said in her address to the United Nations in 1985, she said, no color, no religion, no nationality should come between us. We are all children of God. Well, that's not what scripture says. Um, in John chapter 1, it says, and to those who um, believed on him, he gave the right to become children of God. So those who believe on him, on Jesus are the ones who have the right to become children of God. Uh, Jesus tells the unbelieving Jews, uh, I believe it's in John chapter 10 and in John chapter 8, he says, you are of your father, the devil. They're not the children of God. They're of their father, the devil. And the reason that you do not believe is you are not of God. It uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are children of wrath not children of God but God rich in mercy and grace um, with which he has loved us um, saved us by his grace through faith um, and this is not our own doing it's the gift of God 
So not everyone is a child of God. Scripture is very clear on that. To those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, <clears throat> Mother Teresa seemed to adopt a syncretistic, somewhat pantheistic worldview. Um, she said this about uh, abortion, which um, her uh, efforts to end the absolute atrocity of abortion are to be commended. But what she believed about what happened in abortion is false. She said this, when we destroy an unborn child, we destroy God. No, we are not all God. God is not everything. God is not every God is not in everything. And God is not everything. Um we are image bearers of God. We are to be reflections and representatives of him. And so therefore when we do not represent him properly for who he is, um, according to his prescriptive will, we sin. Um, I am to be an image bearer of God. And so God has said, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie. And that's because God cannot lie. God is not a liar. So when I lie, I'm saying that that is what God is like because I'm an image bearer of God. And so I'm lying about the character of God. When I lie. So we are not God. We are to be his reflection and bear and representative to his creation. Um, she also says. Uh, let me see here. Let me pull this up. Here's a quote from her. It says man is free. To embrace the religion that gives him peace, joy, and love. There is no freedom if a person is not free to choose according to his own conscience. So, obviously she believes, oh, she also says this here. If the individual thinks and believes that his or her way is the only way to God, then that is their way of salvation. This is a direct denial of what Jesus said in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Um, there is salvation in no other. Um, <clears throat> she was often noted to have comforted, comforted people who lost loved ones by saying, we will meet all our friends and family members who died before us in heaven. Buddhists, Muslims, Protestants, all were going home to God. That unfortunately is not true. If someone does not embrace the truth of the gospel, they will face the wrath of God against their sin. It tells us in Uh, scripture tells us in John chapter 3, it says in verse 17, well, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already 
It tells us in verse 36 of the same chapter, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So these Buddhists, these Muslims, these Protestants, who are not trusting, these Catholics, who are not trusting in Christ alone, and trusting in the work of Christ, are not going home to God. The wrath of God still abides upon them. And anyone who teaches anything other is denying the words of Christ himself and is not to be commended and not to be raised up to some elevation of sainthood. Uh, Mother Teresa is, is well known for her, <clears throat> um, her promotion, basically, of suffering and poverty. Because she said um, in a press conference in 1981, which was quoted by Christopher Hitchens, um, she said, I think it is very beautiful for the poor to accept their lot, to share it with the passion of Christ. I think the world is being much helped by the suffering of the poor people. She's uh, known to have uh, not uh, allowed and given people... Um, things to help with uh, pain, pain medication, uh, painkillers, and because she thought that their suffering was sharing with the passion of Christ, and thus this um, would help them with their relationship with God. They would be closer to God, they would be closer to salvation if they suffered more. And so she was known to promote suffering, even though she herself would go to the best clinics and the best doctors and get the best care when she was sick, but she did not give that to others. So um, another thing that's very interesting is she actually got donations from the Duvalier uh, family, um, which is the dictator family in Haiti. I was in the country of Haiti from age uh, 9 to 12, and then a couple other uh, times in my teen years. I was there for six months to a year. Um, so I was there from 89 to, or from 90, actually it would have been 90 to about 93. And so I'm well aware of the Duvalier family. They were a wicked, he was a wicked dictator. I mean, he had secret police all over. He knocked people off, killed them if they disagreed with him. Uh, it was not a good time to be in Haiti, but Mother Teresa commended the Duvaliers as great Catholic family and accepted donations from them uh, for her ministry um, so uh, Mother Teresa is not a saint um, one other thing I want to show here I'm going to uh, for those of you listening to the podcast you're not going to see this uh, but uh, for those of you watching it on YouTube I'm going to go ahead and transition my screen here uh, so that you guys can see some of these photographs uh, the first one that I want to show here let me go ahead and transition the screen here, uh, is of Mother Teresa actually bowing down to a, a memorial and an image of Gandhi, praying to him. She's got her hands folded here, and she's bowing down in front of this image. Uh, this is blatant idolatry. This isn't even engaging with the idols of Roman Catholicism. This is engaging with pagan idolatry. Um, there's also a photo here of her actually praying in a Buddhist temple. You can see her over here in the 
uh, left-hand corner, there's a nun here bowing down. That's actually Mother Teresa. And here's a bigger blown-up picture of her at this same temple. And she's bowing down and praying to this image right here. I can't make out what it is, but some sort of Hindu image. And she's bowing down to it. Um, you know, for those of you that are Roman Catholics even out there, uh, you know, I don't know how you think that that is um, in accordance even with your the dogmas of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, Mother Teresa is not someone to look up as a champion of Christianity. She didn't champion the gospel. She didn't believe the gospel. Our hope and prayer is, is that she believed it before she passed into eternity, but we don't know that she did, and in her life she championed everything but the gospel. And so she is not someone to be promoting and to be holding up as a great saint of the Christian faith. As we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, that those who are under the lordship of Christ, trust in Christ, and are called out by God, are those who are saints. So, alrighty. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about was um, a friend of mine uh, posted this on Facebook, and I want to address it. Um, Many of you out there that are listen probably are aware of somebody by the name of Leighton Flowers who has seemed to make it his goal in life to um, talk about Calvinism. It seems to be like all he wants to talk about. Um, <laughs> I don't see him. It's very interesting. I don't see him trying to proselytize Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. I mean, it seems that that's all he is. It's just... It's all anti-Calvinism, but um, I mean, he, I'm a Calvinist, and I talk about Calvinism less than what Leighton Flowers does. <clears throat> uh, my website, probably maybe 20, 30 percent of the stuff we talk about here is Calvinism. We talk about the Trinity. We defend justification by faith. Um, we talk to Mormons. Um Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, black Hebrew Israelite. Yeah, I even had a black Hebrew Israelite out. He was a, he was a, a, a die-theist or henotheist. I'm not sure exactly what he was, but, um, you know, we're not here just focused on Calvinism. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> Leighton Flowers, the, uh, the, I guess, the poster boy for anti-Calvinism today, um, posted this meme. And I'm going to go ahead and transition the screen here so you guys can see it, those of you guys watching here in a little bit. But um, I only have one really word for this meme, and that is wicked, evil. Um, what is being said with this, um, I'm sorry, is, is actually just outright wicked and is something that honestly Leighton Flowers needs to repent of um, this is not good um, I'm going to go ahead and transfer the screen here um, this is what uh, he has a picture of John Calvin here 
and then uh, he writes underneath it. It says, Calvinism summarized. Satan wants everyone, but God does not. The, the thing here is that, so, I mean, I guess this was posted on Soteriology 101, which is Leighton Flowers' website, and he's the one who owns the page, so I must have been the one who produced it. Um, to equate God's good, righteous intentions with his justice and mercy, with Satan's evil intention and desire to bring everyone to destruction is wicked. I'm sorry, that's wicked. And is is something that Leighton Flowers needs to repent of. Basically what Leighton Flowers is saying with this meme is that God, if he does not have mercy on absolutely every single person who, who is justly underneath the wrath of God for their sin, if he does not give everyone mercy, then he's like Satan. Does not Scripture clearly say that God can give mercy to whom he wills? In uh, Romans 9.18, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills. So, if God does not give mercy to every single person equally then he's like Satan I'm sorry that's wicked that's evil to make that comparison God has every right to demonstrate mercy to whom he wants because all are justly condemned as sinners before him we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God we are all underneath the righteous judgment of God. And God can extend his mercy to whom he desires. I mean, in fact, even under the Arminian system, this meme is wicked. Because under the Arminian system, God looks forward through time and he sees who was going to have faith in him. And so then he demonstrates mercy to them. But the other sinners, he demonstrates justice to. This meme here only makes sense unless you're a universalist. God saves everyone. And if God doesn't save everyone, he's just like Satan. I, this is absolutely evil. That's all I can say. It's evil. All right. Um... I wanted to uh, talk about um, Tim Keller a little bit here at the end of the show. But uh, before we do that, um, I'm going to uh, play a promo from Tyler Vela's podcast, The Free Thinker. I would encourage um, those of you out there who have not listened to his podcast to go and check it out. Um, he's, I guess, been having his 
he's had his podcast for five years. I have, I've not listened to every episode, but I've listened to quite a few episodes, and they're very good. Uh, he deals especially with um, atheist and secular worldviews. But he's had a series recently that was really good. Um, he uh, had some guests on, and they discussed uh, Molinism and Theonomy. And so I really enjoyed those. But um, let's go ahead and uh, just uh, listen to his promo here. Hi, this is Tyler from the Freed Thinker Podcast. Do you have an atheistic or a skeptical friend in your life who challenges you and your beliefs? Have you ever wondered about the passages in the Bible that talk about keeping slaves or about bears mauling children to the command of God? Or are you just generally interested in issues related to theology, biblical studies, philosophy, and apologetics? Well, if you're any of those, I would love to invite you over to the Freed Thinker podcast to explore some of our content that we have available. On the Freed Thinker, we engage in a philosophically robust manner with some of Christianity's most staunch critics. The Freed Thinker podcast is the place where freed thinkers can think freely. All right. Um, actually, before I jump into Tim Keller, I had another thought um, I wanted to with uh, this meme um, that uh, Leighton Flowers put out. And um, that is even from Leighton Flowers' own system, um, he believes that God has perfect foreknowledge. God actually knows everyone. He, he knows John Brown. He knows that when he creates John Brown, that John Brown will never believe in the gospel, even if he's presented with the gospel. He knows that. But yet he chooses to create John Brown anyway. He brings him into existence, gives him life, and knows that he will never trust in Christ. And so therefore that he will be created, he will live his life, and he will go to hell for his sin against God. God knows that. Unless, of course, you're going to deny divine foreknowledge. Unless you're going to collapse into open theism, a completely heretical view. But uh, if you're not, if you're not going to collapse into open theism, then God knows John Brown. He knows him perfectly. He creates him. Um, he knows that he won't repent and believe. And um, I guess God didn't want John Brown. He created him and he went to hell. Um, even under your system, Leighton, you still have this problem. The point is, is that God created John Brown, a sinner just like me. He was a sinner, a fallen son of Adam, just like I am. His desire to rebel against God is just like mine, is just like yours, is just like every other fallen son and daughter of Adam. We all desire to rebel against God. We actually do rebel against God. We hate God. We're children of wrath. We cannot do that which is pleasing to God. But God has a purpose for their existence, just like he has a purpose for those who those sinners whom he saves. God has a reason for it. 
One is to demonstrate his justice, and ultimately he will be glorified in that. And one is to demonstrate his mercy and grace. But from either perspective, people get created who God knows will never even hear the gospel. Unless you hold to the position I, I had one Arminian friend tell me that, well, he believes that everyone hears sufficiently about God so that they could be saved if they would believe. That's actually a rather astounding statement. Um, that means that people can be saved outside of knowing Jesus Christ. Not like the apostles proclaim that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It must be through Jesus Christ. There is there's no... Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. So, are you saying that there are people that God created who he knew would never hear the gospel, but yet they could they could be saved outside of faith and trust in the work of Christ alone if they would simply choose with their own autonomous free un will not in the bondage of sin not a slave to sin uh, their own will they could they they could call out to God with uh, that sufficient knowledge that would save them see here this is what Romans 1 says Romans 1 says that everyone knows that God exists they know his righteous command and his righteous decree and it is sufficient for their condemnation, but not their salvation, because God doesn't owe sinners salvation. He doesn't owe any of us anything. The fact that he even saves one of us is amazing. If we know our own hearts, and we know our sin against God, and the fact that we have actually desired to do those sins, and we've wanted to do those sins, and we've wanted to rebel against God. And we know our own hearts and we know that God saved us anyway. We know that there's there's no reason in us why we've been saved. It is by his grace alone. And so. If if God's creating people he has perfect foreknowledge of them, he creates them anyway. Does he have a purpose in that? Does he have a reason for that? Um. And does he equally want to save them? Because here's the thing. If, if God knows that a particular individual will not believe in him and will never even hear the gospel, why does he create him? He just shouldn't create him. He wants everyone to be saved. He doesn't have a purpose in, in judgment against a particular people in order to ultimately bring glory to himself. Um, he doesn't have a reason for that, so why doesn't he just create the people that he foreknows are going to believe in him? And so therefore everyone's saved, because that is what you believe Scripture teaches. Now, um, we can go to any of the texts that you want to talk about. Second Peter 3.9, I exegeted that text in the last um, uh, debate with Paul Pavo. And I think it was clearly demonstrated which one of us is actually taking that text seriously. Um, 
So check that out. So, all right, we need to get moving here. But uh, I want to um, <clears throat> take a moment here to uh, talk about Tim Keller. I've recently been listening to some podcasts by Semper Reformanda Radio, and uh, I would encourage you guys to check those guys out. They're really good, and they're very thorough. And uh, they've had um, a brother by the name of Timothy Kaufman on the show recently, and he's been talking about some of the issues with um, Tim Keller. And I've not really talked about Keller before on this, but uh, Keller is seriously compromised in some very critical areas. And um, I would not encourage um, anyone to uh, read his books um, other than for research purposes um, or listen to his lectures or promote him. Um, he's seriously compromised in the area of origins um, with his theistic evolutionary beliefs. Um, he uses a hermeneutical methodology of trying to triangulate and to try to give proof or, or truth to his congregation and his listeners that, that is triangulated between what the world says and what the scripture says. And he also um, is heavily compromised in the area of um, social justice, uh, socialism, Marxism. Um, he's heavily influenced in those areas. And um, so I'm going to go ahead and if I, I'm going to actually include the links also to those other podcasts. I'd encourage you to listen to those. But in listening to their podcast, it, it took my memory back to um, an interview that I had saw several years ago by Tim Keller by the Veritas Forum. And I want to replay this. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this, but I want to play this. And I just we're going to some, spend some time here critiquing this. Um, but uh, I had a big problem with this when I saw this uh, three, four years ago. And uh, it's something I should have probably shown on the podcast before, but uh, it's only about uh, seven minutes long. And uh, we'll try to get through it here pretty quickly. Um, but uh, I just want to just take a look at this, see how Keller responds to these answers uh, or these questions, and think about what does Scripture say and what would be a, an actual biblical answer to um, these particular questions that he's asked. So... I'm going to go ahead and transition the screen here. And uh, here we go. We'll start playing this here. Do you believe that there is only one God and that there is only one way to approach that God? If, yes, if, okay, yes, if. I'm speaking as a Christian here. If Jesus Christ is who he says he is. That is, if he is the son of God from heaven, if he is, uh, if he really was bodily raised from the dead, and if he was our original creator, I mean, if all that's true, that's what he says, then of course it'd have to be just one way to God because our souls would need him or we, they would shrivel eternally just like your body needs food or it would shrivel. I mean, the fact is, my body needs food or it will shrivel. That's not narrow-minded to say. That's just the way 
It is. If Jesus is who he said he is, then our souls would have to get him in order to be eternally full and thrive. And if we don't get him, then we would eternally shrivel. So to say uh, it seems so narrow to claim that there's only one way to God, to say that actually precludes the possibility that Jesus is who he says he is. I mean, if he is who he says he is, then that's what, we're, that's what we have to say. If he's not who he says he is, then of course it's narrow. So basically, you have to sit down and ask yourself the question about the facts of Jesus' life and look at that and not, not say, I don't even want to look at Jesus. I don't even want to hear the claims of Christianity because they seem so exclusive. So where does that leave the millions of Muslims? Now, I don't want to be overly critical about the beginning presentation here. But one of the senses I get from Keller is that um, he's almost so sorry he's in this position where he has to defend this. He's uh, very almost apologetic that this, this uh, you know, might be true if it is true. Um, the one thing I would encourage you to do is go read Paul's encounter at the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17 and compare it to the way Keller does his presentation here. And honestly, I, I don't understand why so many Christians today think Keller is one of these amazing communicators that just has the ability to communicate to the world the things of God. I don't see that. I see a stumbling, confusion, uh, inability to actually take a stand on Scripture, uh, afraid to offend somebody um, when the Bible tells us that they will be offended by the gospel. It's an offense to the unbeliever. Um, they think it's foolishness. Uh, for those who are perishing, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand this, but, uh, let, let's look at the way Paul responded, um, at the Areopagus. He said, the God who made the world and everything in it being the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives all mankind breath and everything he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far away from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of men. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men, all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And by this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul here proclaims the righteousness of God, his judgment against the world and that God commands men everywhere to repent 
Now let's see if that is what we actually see with Tim Keller. Sikhs and Jews, are they sadly and completely deluded? People who never heard about Jesus or never really got a hearing about Jesus. I'm not talking about them because some of those people have heard about I'm talking about the millions of right. Muslims, Sikhs and Jews mm -hmm. who have heard about Jesus. Mm -hmm. Where does your thesis leave them? Where they are right now, that means that if, they, if there's never any change, they don't get Jesus. If he is who he said he is, then long term they don't have God. If, on the other hand, uh, they, you know, all I can always say about this is God gives me, as a, even as a minister with a scripture, a lot of information on a need-to-know basis. And a need-to-know basis means here's all I can tell you. Uh, unless you get Jesus Christ, who created you to start with, unless you are reunited uh, with him sometime, there is no eternal future for, of thriving. It just makes sense. Again, I'm trying to go back to this idea that, that if he is who he says he is, you've got to have him. If right now a person doesn't have him, then he, needs to get, that he or she needs to get him. If, if, they, if they die and they've never, if they, if they die and they don't have Jesus Christ, I don't know. In other words, I, I have a need-to-know basis. This is the only thing I know. You need Jesus. Uh, I certainly know that God is wiser than me, more merciful than me. And per, I do know that when I finally find out how God is dealing with every individual soul, I won't have any, uh, I won't have any questions about okay, it. Okay, but... The, the thing I want you to notice here is Keller here would have a great opportunity here to share the gospel, to share that we are sinners. Um, as we'll see here in a little bit further, a question here about where the questioner, um, the interviewer, um, assumes the goodness of man, the integrity of man. It would be a great opportunity for Keller to say no. Um, uh, no man is good. Uh, Jeremiah seventeen nine. the heart is um, wicked, is uh, deceitful. Uh, who can know it? Um, uh, proclaim Romans 3, that um, there is none who does good, not even one. Uh, Romans 8, that um, uh, no one can do that which is pleasing to God, and that uh, God will judge the world in righteousness, as Paul proclaimed in Acts 17. But we don't have any of that. We have um, fumbling, we have excuses, we have, well, you know, I think it's like this, I'm on a need-to-know basis. Um, yeah, actually, God told you what you need to know for this particular encounter. And he makes an astounding statement here in a little bit, which is really the one I want to address. But you can see it already starting here. Um, he doesn't want to offend this guy. Um, he's doing everything to try to make. Um, and what he ends up doing is he ends up compromising on the gospel. And here's the thing. The Bible tells us, Scripture tells us, that the gospel is inherently offensive. Men don't like to hear that they're sinners against a holy God. They don't like to hear that God will judge the world in righteousness. Um, that, you know, they don't like to hear that. Um, but that's not our job. I mean, if you read the end of Acts 17, the philosophers laughed him out when he started talking about the resurrection. 
you know, he wasn't very popular either. Uh, Paul wasn't, but he proclaimed the truth. So uh, let's let's jump back in here and see where this goes. If this is the only way to God, and if Christians are heading for a place called heaven, does that mean, therefore, by deduction, that millions of Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, Jews, all of whom hold their faith with enormous integrity, all of them are heading for hell? There's a lot of people who were born in Indianapolis, Indiana, and they grew up in First Baptist Church there, who are also headed for a Christless eternity. Uh, every human being chooses an identity. It's either chosen, it's either based on the grace of God, or it's basically based on your own performance and your own ability, and therefore on your own self. And if a billion years from now you've put your hope in the grace of God, you will be beautiful and happy. If you, a billion years from now, you've put your, you base your identity on your own self and your own abilities and your own performance, you'll be miserable. In fact, you can see it even now. Self-centered people are miserable even now, not a billion years from now. So there are plenty of people who are raised Christians. There's plenty of people who were raised in First Baptist Church, but in their hearts have not turned toward the grace of God. People in other religions, unless they find Christ, I don't know any other way, but I also get information on a need-to-know basis. If there's some, if there's some trap door or something like that, I haven't been told about it. But I, I also don't know, I guess I want to know. And there we go. That's the, uh, that's the statement and the issue that I want to deal with here the most, is I'm on a need-to-know basis, and <clears throat> if there's a trap door, I don't know about it. Here's the deal. If there is a trapdoor, then Jesus is a liar. Jesus said very clearly in John fourteen six, there is no other salvation. There is salvation in no other way but through me. I am the door, he says in John ten. Um, there is the he is the only way uh, that there is to God and to salvation. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If there is a trapdoor, if if Keller here is actually serious that there could be a trapdoor, he's just on a need-to-know basis, he doesn't know, then he's saying that Jesus could possibly be a liar, that there is another way, when Jesus said there is no other way. Here's the thing that he needs to clearly, clearly say, because it's what Scripture does. Scripture clearly says in John 3, verse 17, that whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. In verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We need to proclaim the gospel because it is the gospel that is the power of God into salvation and not um, hedging around um, the edges and, and apologizing to people that, yes, yeah, I mean, Christianity is kind of exclusive. Yes, it is. Because Christianity is found by the true God. And when God prescribes a way of salvation, it is the only way of salvation. 
He is the one that determines these things, not us. It is not our job to water it down. It is our job to proclaim it. So, um, all right. I think that's um, all I have with Keller there. So we're going to go ahead and um, wrap up the show here. I'm already well over an hour. Wasn't planning on taking that long. So um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, hopefully that was helpful to you. Uh, Lord willing, we will see you guys next week. Uh, please remember to um, rate us on iTunes, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and like us on Facebook. Thank you, and see you next week. Don't you know that the unjust... Being...